Welcome. Welcome to Monodia, a worship podcast that is built for your ears. Now, you can watch us live either on YouTube or Facebook, or you can go back and watch the video at a later time. But primarily, we made this podcast for the ear to be a worship podcast. But I need to explain that. The idea of worship is this feeling or expression of reverence and adoration for a deity. And usually it is done in a particular format. We call that a traditional form of worship. Contemporary worship, many people uh, prefer, and that is based upon really kind of the same thing, but it's less formal. The music is the big difference between those two. However, at Monodia, we understand that more and more individuals are growing disillusioned with Christianity and the idea of a theist God. And that by that, I mean a God who intervenes in our world, a God who has a particular will and has made that will known. So therefore, we created this podcast that might be comfortable for both those who are theist and those who are non-theist. Because it is built for the ear, there's a lot of things that traditionally you're not in a worship service, you're not going to hear. You're not going to hear formal singing and music and such like that. You will hear some music, but not in the traditional way. Prayer will be another one that you're not going to hear other than we do have a meditation that we put at the end of this podcast because we understand you might be driving, you might be working out, you might be out walking, and now is not the time for you to stop and have a, t- a time of reflection, meditation, or prayer. So that's why we've built this for your ear, and it's going to be somewhat different. This is an opportunity for us to ponder, to reflect, and to help me this morning do that is the lovely Janelle Taporn. <laughs> How are you this Ew. morning? Grumpy. Why are you grumpy? <laughs> I didn't get my coffee. Uh-oh. Right? Uh, so that's how this day's going. Oh, gosh. But this is going to pick me right up. <clears throat> well, if you had let me know, I would have got you a coffee. Oh, well, thank you, but I'm fine. You're fine. Today, we are going to be talking about marriage. And in particular, we're going to be focusing on an aspect of marriage. And that is, in Western Christianity, marriage primarily seems to be focused upon the traditional man and woman in a monogamous relationship. Mm-hmm. And the ideal is forever. I think things are changing. And they are. I mean, <laughs> On I, all levels. Yes. When I grew up, mm-hmm. my uncle divorced his wife. Okay. Never remarried. Well, uh-huh. let me back it up. He did not marry for a period of time. Yeah. Then he remarried, and when he did, he felt so guilty. Uh, why? Because Jesus says in the Gospel of Mark uh-huh. that I think, or Matthew, that it says that if the only grounds for divorce mm-hmm. is adultery, his wife had not committed adultery. Therefore, he had committed adultery by remarrying. Oh my! And he was guilty. He was. He felt so guilty about that. Wow. Yeah. And it, but yet, in, in today's society, we ignore that. 50% of, mm-hmm. 50% of marriages end in divorce. 
It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or a non-Christian. The statistics are the same. So where else in the Bible is it okay? Anywhere? No? Well, you do have back in the Old Testament, mm -hmm. in the Torah or the Pentateuch, mm -hmm. you have this, I, I mean, I'm sorry, not the Torah, the Pentateuch, you have this idea that a man could divorce his wife. Oh. Now, that means your husband could divorce you. Sure. For any reason. It's in the Old Testament. Yes, any reason. Okay. But you couldn't divorce him. What? No, could not divorce him. Oh, that's not sexist. You do not have the right. <laughs> well, it was a patriarchal society. <laughs> but what's interesting, again, we go back to Genesis 2.24. In Genesis 2.24, it says, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That text has been read so many times in mm -hmm. weddings. Right. But the funny thing is, how come it's patriarchal? Women have two X chromosomes. Male is Y chromosome. And an X. Correct? Correct. But my kids used to say, why this? Why that? Why that? And we would say, why comes after X? <laughs> Do you know where I'm going with this? No. no I have <laughs> no idea where you're going. I say from the chromosomal part of our bodies, women are just first. Ah, I got you. X y before, before X. Y before X. It's in our chromosomes. <laughs> <laughs> However, they would disagree with you. Who? Because, well, the patriarchs, the, the Old Testament writers, they believe that it was the ideal. And it's all literally based upon Genesis 2. The ideal mm -hmm. marriage mm -hmm. is based on Genesis 2.24. The whole chapter, in fact. Yeah. The creation yes. story. It's based on that. But, and, that, and I've heard so many times, and maybe you've heard it, both listeners and you, Janelle, is, mm -hmm. you know, God created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. <laughs> right. And they use that as the grounds <laughs> to say that the only marriage that is appropriate, the only marriage that is God's will, yeah. is between a man and a woman, and it's monogamous. And... Therefore, no form of sex should take place before or outside of marriage. And what about Genesis 1? Genesis 1 is, again, Genesis 1 in, has a different creation story than Genesis yeah. 2. And it's a little bit more flexible, don't you think, in interpretation? Um, Maybe? They had a different view. They had a different perspective. Okay. But... If we look at it, Genesis 2 is the one that we go to. That's the justification for the idea yes, of true. what is considered a traditional marriage. However, what I would like to look at today on mm -hmm. Monodia, mm -hmm. I would like to look at the possibility that there is an alternative way to read Genesis 2. And it lays a foundation that other writers will pick up on, especially Jesus and Paul. Oh, right, Paul. And that is what we are going to be discussing today on Monodia, and we will do that right after this.
As I just mentioned in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, we have two creation accounts. Uh, there, for those who are more reading the Bible in a traditional manner or a literal manner, they would prefer to see that the first five books of the Bible were written in its entirety by Moses. However, there are some real challenges in that argument. And if you read Genesis 1 and 2, you actually will find two different accounts of creation. One, some people will say that Genesis 1 comes from a group of priests. Genesis 2, however, comes from another group that knows God as Yahweh. And in Genesis chapter 2, that's where it gets interesting, is because this is the, ver this is the chapter that is used to describe traditional marriages. It becomes the norm. It is not only God's will, but it is the predominant means by which it, families are based. And it all starts in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, where it says, Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground. Now, the English version is limited because it's a translation. And every translation is an interpretation. The translators have to make decisions. And so, first of all, they had to decide what was the appropriate text, the Hebrew text, because we have so many different manuscripts. Which one is the most reliable? Once you make that decision, then you have to decide what these words meant, and then what is the appropriate word that is supposed to be used today to capture that meaning. A lot can be lost in that. And so to know the original language is actually a great benefit. That's why in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, when we read, there's actually a play going on here. It says, the Lord God formed man. In the Hebrew, it actually says, the Lord God formed ha-adam. What's fascinating is that in Hebrew, you can, use, you can make a definite article. In English, that is the. An indefinite article would be a. So here we have ha-adam, the Adam. Now, traditionally, as in here in this translation, the New American Standard, they chose to use the word man. However, when you put an article in front of a word, it is more than just a designation for a person. In Hebrew, the word Adam, especially with the article before it, is often used as an indicator of humankind, humanity in its entirety. And I think one of the reasons why the writer used that word is because the man or the Adam was formed from the dust of the ground. The word ground here, again, in the original language is, ready for this, Adama. So in order to take that key word, Adam, that's the root of the word. If you add a, a suffix to it, especially the ah sound, you can turn that word into a feminine word. And the word here for Adama, it means, it meant in the original text, the ground. 
So you get a wordplay going on. The Adam is made from the Adamah. And so originally, then all of a sudden, when you see that in the original text, it's like, wow, what a play they're doing here. So some individuals believe that what we see in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, is the creation of humanity, the first being. Because later on it says that God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the Ha'adam became a living being. Now, there is a real possibility. Now, a possibility, because this does have some weaknesses in the argument. There are some possibilities, however, that what we find here, this ideal being, human being, is not a male and is not a female. Or another way of looking at it, it's 100% male and it's 100% female. It's both. It's a androgynous being. Phyllis Tribble, who writes about this in her book, she says that the better translation would be to call this a earth creature. And this creature has not yet been sexually differentiated. So the picture is, is you have this original being. Now, the reason why this is a real possibility is the ancients often believed that the deities, God, did not have a sex. It was androgynous. Either no sex or encompassed both male and female aspects in it. Humanity is seen as, in time, a separate male and female, less than, less than ideal. So many individuals believe that this first being that was created, ready for this? was between the deity and what would eventually become male and female. That was the original being. It was a little bit less than God. And that is where we find in the Psalms where it says about humanity being made a little less than the angels. The story goes on in Genesis chapter 2 that God is, realizes, that's kind of that oops moment, God realizes this being needs a helper. So God creates animals, and he brings the animals before the Adam, this creature. And as the beings come across, they pass by the Adam, they, they look, the Adam looks and says, no, that ain't going to work, that ain't going to work. And these animals have gender. They are male and female. After this procession, God says, okay, we're going to have to go to plan B. And plan B is that he will cause a deep sleep to come upon the Adam, the Ha-Adam, this being, and then there will be a, if you would, surgical procedure, a divine um, intervention where this original being is split into half. And it becomes man and it becomes woman. And we find this in Genesis chapter 2 where we read that God causes a deep sleep to come upon the man. Verse 21, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the 
Ha-Adam, and he slept. Then God took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the Ha-Adam and brought her to, ready for this, the man. That word, the woman, for the first time we see appear, and it is separate from the man. There is no longer the Ha-Adam It is now instead the man and the woman. And this really comes out strongly in verses 23 and 24, where the man said, this is now bone of my bone, then flesh of my flesh. She shall be called Isha, because she was taken out of Ish. Now, those two words, Ish and Isha, notice the ah ending, the feminine. Those two words, Ish and Isha, are words that are not used for all of humanity like Adam is. So for the first time, after this division between this ideal being, now being divided, you have an Ish and an Isha. Verse 24, that's the verse we, remember, we would begin this podcast with. It says, for this reason, an Ish shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his Isha, and they shall become one flesh. Now, again, this argument has problems, but the gist of it is that in this creation story, these ancients believed, they believed that God originally created a being, an earthly creature that was androgynous, either it didn't have any sex or it was male and female. What's amazing is, is this idea continues on. And it appears in hints of it in the life of Jesus and then with Paul. In the life of Jesus, in Mark chapter 12, Jesus is asked a question about divorce and resurrection. And Jesus in that answer says that in the kingdom of God or heaven, there will be neither marrying or giving in marriage, and human beings will be like angels. It's almost hinting at this idea of a return to this ideal earthly creature that existed before man and woman. Paul, when he talks about the body of Christ... Notice, it's the body of Christ. And he says, there will be neither male or female. Now, we typically take that as equality. But could it be that what Paul was thinking about was a return to this ideal? This ideal where there will be this ideal human being, this earthly creature that originally was created. Now, if that's a possibility, again, I'm saying a possibility, all I think we need to realize is that maybe we need to be a little bit more tentative in how strong we say the Bible tells us God's will. Perhaps we would be a little less aggressive 
a little bit more accepting of others that see things differently than us, when we realize that the Bible is very complex and it's not as clear as many people would like it to be. That there's a multitude of meetings, and we're dealing with this ancient text, folks. This is ancient. And we are guessing for its original meaning. But those need to be educated, informed guesses. And again, it's so much easier just to accept what you're told. But to really stop and look at the possibilities and have an open mind to understand that there may be more differences than we are at first willing to admit. So, maybe it wasn't God created Adam and Eve, or God created Adam and Steve. Maybe God originally created an androgynous being, an earthly creature. We'll be right back to talk about more on this subject. Welcome back. I want to mention that if you want to be a part of this conversation, you can text us. This is the easiest way to get involved by texting 480-389-4974. 480-389-4974. And I will be watching for texts and I will we will respond to you. So Going forward now, Phyllis Tribble rocked my world. <laughs> you know, what? she yeah, she is a feminist theologian and a biblical scholar who not everyone agrees with. <laughs> I can see why. However, um, she's done some good work. She's given yeah. she's presented some arguments that um, at least should be discussed. Yeah, and First and foremost, I feel like we've built an entire ideology or social construct on a misinterpretation of Genesis. 
Well, I wouldn't say a misinterpretation. <laughs> what? Because because this is again, this is a theory. In mm-hmm. part of part of it, for example, an argument against this theory mm-hmm. is that this was a patriarchal society who wrote this. So why would they downplay the that- idea that God created man first? So that's an argument against it. An argument for it, however, is that if God created man first, Mm -hmm. did he create him with genitalia? (laughs) Because the purpose of genitalia is not only to get rid of waste, but it's for reproduction. Correct. And if there was no one to reproduce with, then you get this idea that either God was kind of playing with us going, you know, I really know that eventually I'm going to create woman. But if you read the text, literally God creates man and goes, he needs a partner. And God thinks, well, maybe one of these animals will do it. I think that, yeah, it was written in a patriarchal society, probably by a man. Right. So that's again. So I appreciate her feminist. Yes. Just the equality. And if it's a possibility then that in this patriarchal society, Mm -hmm. these individuals or one individual who pinned and was a follower of Yahweh bought into this idea that originally when God created this creation story, that he created a earthly creature and not necessarily a man. Mm -hmm. But understand that if you believe in evolution, then Genesis one and two is right. just a myth. It's so a, that's what I it's was It's a story just of say. origin. Isn't it more about nature versus nurture? Like, okay, I'm reading Harari Sapiens. Yeah, love it, love it, love it. Yeah, great so author. So he states that one of the advantages of Sapiens is our ability to imagine and dream collectively. Through stories and fiction. Yes. We can weave myths such as the biblical creation story and cooperate flexibly in large numbers. So our social structure is mainly high, high, how do you say that? Hierarchical. Mm -hmm. Hierarchical. Much like the chimpanzees where they have an alpha male dominating the others to maintain order. As the relatively small group grows, though, this coalition kind of destabilizes and Mm -hmm. collapses. So doesn't that reveal equality instinctually or naturally? We take refuge in this social structure that nature shows us. Yeah, and many individuals would believe that during the process of evolution, Mm -hmm. that what we found originally were small groups of people, maybe up to 30 and there wasn't maybe marriage. Right. And instead, you had a group of men and women. Mm-hmm. And it was sharing. And it was what is best for the tribe. And the main goal was producing children. Yeah, we talked earlier this week. Isn't there a tribe that <clears throat> the woman, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> moves from hut to hut yeah. with her hammock? Yeah, there's a story that uh, <laughs> marriage is defined as... When a woman or a man entered into the other person's hut with their hammock and set it up and stayed the night there. And they were married as long as he kept his hammock or right. her hammock there. <laughs> if they took it and left, they were no longer married. So which is, again, a different way of looking at 
marriage. It's a different way of looking at <laughs> the relationship between men and women. And that's why I think the this is so important. Mm -hmm, I agree. Because it's right <clears throat> now, especially if you look uh -huh. at what's happening, there's a great deal of concern that the Supreme Court with mm -hmm. their decision regarding Roe versus Wade and why they made that decision could end up impacting same-sex marriage, which in 2015 yeah, was passed. Right, right. And again, one of the motives driving this is this ideal idea of marriage mm -hmm. rooted in Genesis. Right. And I, I think what this theory says is there's a possibility that what we have here is not, the story isn't as, first of all, it's a myth. It's a fable because it's trying to explain. Um, now, notice I said it's a myth or a fable. It mm -hmm. is true, however, because it's true in the sense that it has meaning that it's trying to, to put out there. It's a story that has truth in it, mm -hmm. and it's trying to, to give us that truth. But if you read it, just that, from mm -hmm. a, if you read it just from a literal perspective, mm -hmm. then I think you come to a conclusion that is difficult. But we take that literal interpretation and we use it as to be the norm, not only for our own lives, but for everyone else. Right. So everybody's culturally conditioned because of this interpretation. I think, yeah, <clears throat> it's rooted in this idea. But again, culture... I'm not against marriage. I'm married. So I'm not against marriage. <laughs> I'm not either. Um, and I see the value in marriage. Uh-huh. I'm just saying is maybe we need to be a little bit more tentative in the reasons why we believe in marriage. I guess I'm coming at it from more of a feminist. Uh, oh, surprise, surprise. Wow. <laughs> Being a woman. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you know, and I can't. I like that we have this conversation actually. Good because, and I do, and I'm glad that the person on the other mic is a female. Oh, <laughs> because well, I don't, I cannot pretend to understand feminism. I, I can, I can intellectually, but I, I'm not a woman. I, my, your life experiences are not mine. Correct. So to hear from a woman's perspective is to me is invaluable so go thank ahead thank you <laughs> she posits that we we must recognize what's going on here that women and men can move beyond this culturally defined roles yeah and i agree yeah well but this was just so mind-blowing to me like i feel like this has been is this the first time this has ever been posited? No, she wrote this back in the 1990s, I think. Oh, wow. And other individuals have come across the same idea, that this idea of an androgynous being. Mm -hmm. In fact, uh, it appears in Mesopotamia, ancient Mesopotamia, that they believed their deities were androgynous. They did not have True. male or female. They were a different being. Mm -hmm. And then the ideal would be a creation would be also that. So it's not unique even to, to the Israel who, when they wrote this, it's not even unique to them. Mm -hmm. they, they were pulling on other cultural ideas when they wrote the Bible. And, and yet still the majority of the world, women are submissive. And yes, 
And I, that's, so what? Well, First Timothy chapter two uh-huh. is used to continue to espouse the idea that women need to be subordinate and submissive to men. Do you um, have that in I front do, of you? Right in front of me. Oh, great! Please um, read it. Well, first <laughs> of all, a woman should not adorn themselves with hair, braided hair, and gold or pearls or costly garments. Well, I messed that one up. Yeah, you did. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but it, it's interesting that it doesn't say men. It just says women. Uh-huh. Uh, verse 11, a woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. <clears throat> verse 12, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over man, but to remain quiet. Hmm. And then listen what the writer says the reason for that. For it was Adam mm-hmm. who was first created and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. It's this writer pulled on the that, story right. and said, Ran for this it. reason, yeah. And that's why many churches talk about complementarianism, the idea that men have their own role, women have their own, their role, yeah. and they should complement each other. Hmm. But ultimately, men are men are in charge. I was going to say, yeah. what does that actually mean? Yeah, men are in charge. The woman's still the nurturer because she has the baby, and she's supposed to submit to the man, and the man should love and care for her. But Go ultimately, out and hunt and gather and la la la. But ultimately, the man is responsible <laughs> and in charge. <laughs> it, it's it. This interpretation creates all sorts of challenges. Mm, it does. It's very progressive. Oh my gosh. What's yeah, the one that that Tribble and there's another woman and I can't remember her. I think it's B A L her last name. Uh, that also wrote in on this. Really? Yeah, and other scholars have refuted it and other scholars have supported it. What are they refuting? I would be curious to know. Again, the idea being that it was a patriarchal society. Yeah. Uh, that's one of the big arguments against it. Mm-hmm. And the other one was, let me see if I can pull it up here real quick. Um, no, I can't find it. Sorry. Must not exist. Yeah. Uh, but again, it, <laughs> okay. it's it's the idea. Oh, here's the other one. What? Is because the word Adam uh-huh. is used later on to refer to men. So if it was used as the ideal, then it's used later on. The the reality is, is the word can be used, in my opinion, in a multitude of ways, just like any other in English word. And we also see that in in Hebrew, that there are words Mm -hmm. that have different meanings depending upon the context in which it's used. But that's one Mm -hmm. of the arguments that's used against this this theory. theory. Wow. Is there a Hebrew word for androgyny? No, not that I'm aware of. Unless the closest we come to that is ha-adam, the the adam, because Mm -hmm. that is used also. It can be, let me back up. It can be used in three ways. Okay. It can appear as a proper noun. Yeah. As in a name, Adam. Mm -hmm. It can appear as a noun in the sense of one individual, a man. Okay. And then it can also be used to refer to the species of humanity. Humankind. Humankind. 
And that's where the mm. fourth comes in to this idea that the original creature that God created, yeah. that's why they chose that word. But not only that, they chose it for that reason, but they wanted to do the play with the word ground, Adama. Okay. That's why they used it. Huh. But again, this is a theory. And my main, oh, yeah. my main thing that I see in this theory is let's just be a little bit more tentative in how we deal with other people in their understanding of the Bible. Okay. And if we would, a lot of the problems we have, these social issues that we're facing. By being tentative, you mean by actually listening and Yeah, what? and realizing that my view... That if this is the view I prefer, uh -huh. there may be someone that holds a different view that is as legit, and I disagree with it, but at least I, I can respect it. Okay. My challenge is, is when we take our beliefs, yeah, and then we make that the norm for everyone else. Right. And I think we see that, especially when it comes to two ideas. Number one, mm. same-sex marriage. Yeah. And number two transsexuals yeah absolutely we want to say that god created adam and eve a man and a woman is there a possibility uh-huh or even a probability that some individuals back then believed that the ideal is neither man or a woman so this idea of marriage we're taking that from that, just that saying that they sh shall become one flesh. Which is, which is incredible, Janelle. This, I mean, it's so amazing when you think about it. It's full circle. Yes. When like you, if you are androgynous, you split, you bifurcate into male and female, and then you become then one you, flesh. And when you have sexual intercourse, right? you are becoming one. One. That's the idea behind it. So actually, they're it's returning they're misinterpret back. They're misinterpreting their own thing. <laughs> it's but wait, 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 wait. But again, this is a interpretation. Uh huh. It has its strengths and it has its weaknesses, just like the traditional view has its strengths mm -hmm. and has its weaknesses. I'm just arguing: Can we get along with each other? And allow for diversity of ideas. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean that I have to agree with everyone. I can still have my preference, educated choice preference. Yes. yes. But if an individual sees it differently and it has same-sex marriage or an individual has a, a, a uh, chemical, a, a neurological something i don't know the right word i can't find it right now but that that where they end up feeling uncomfortable uh -huh. in the body that they are given that they that they were birthed uh -huh. with uh -huh. and then we want to say well no it's that's a sin because again we want to take it back to genesis 2 and say it has to be that way uh, so okay you've performed weddings i have so the sacrament of marriage have you... In, that's in Catholic. That is not in Protestants. What is it there? The ritual of marriage? Uh, the two sacraments that I believe the majority of Protestant holds uh -huh. are 
communion uh-huh. and baptism. Baptism. Whereas in, for the Catholics, it is it is a sacrament. Uh, it's okay. a rite within the majority of Protestants. Oh, R I T E. Mm-hmm. I'm just wondering when that concept, this this sacred marriage. Who developed that? Who invented that? I, I don't know how. Politics, baby. Politics. <laughs> Politics and power. Politics and power. I mean, think about it. when Christianity linked with, during the time of Constantine, linked mm-hmm. with the Roman Empire. Yeah. And then became the official religion. Mm-hmm. There was a huge shift of power to them. Christians went from kind of this quickly growing, but it was probably not as prevalent as some of the other religions. But then when Rome comes aboard, boom, it blows up. And now they begin to take... after Jesus? After, some 300 years after. But there had to have been... I'm thinking of the Christmas story. Um, Joseph and Mary... Mm-hmm. Are unmarried. They are betrothed or engaged. Okay, betrothed. Yeah. Uh, but it's already there, that concept that's a, of that's marriage. A, that's a better pronunciation, betrothed. <laughs> Mine sounds like a they're going to a trough. Troth. Betrothed. <laughs> <laughs> Some people might agree. <laughs> what I'm saying is, well, I don't know, the exchange of rings, the idea that you are exclusively with one person when did that originate like a piece of paper you know what what you know and that's what's interesting is <laughs> when you read in the bible there is two basically different expectations for mm-hmm. men and for women okay men can have many wives if they can afford it. Yeah. And concubines. Right. If they can afford it. Right. On the other side, women are limited to one man. And you know why? No. Children and property. Remember, marriage, it did not become this romantic idea in probably until the Middle Ages. Hmm. Marriage was a transaction. Okay. And in many cultures, it was arranged marriages that took place. And, True. And, and therefore, with that, were different expectations. And a man never knew for certain mm-hmm. that the child inside of his wife was his. Yeah, that's true. And the only way to guarantee that, or at least come close to a guarantee, was to say that she could only have one, one man. man. Whereas a man, it <laughs> goes back to increasing your tribe. Right. Be fruitful and multiply. <laughs> but uh, naturally, <laughs> the chimpanzees aren't, aren't monogamous, are they? I don't know. I, I'm again. I'm not. I'm not saying that we should. I'm not encouraging us to get rid of marriage. 
Yeah. I believe in the value of committed relationships. Mm -hmm. Now, for those who choose to make that a marriage, that's what I prefer. But I know there are individuals who are in committed relationships but are not married. No, they are not legally married. That's their choice. Right. My concern is, is when we use a particular interpretation of the Bible and use that as the norm and therefore, and we now are even passing laws mm-hmm. to take and make that interpretation the norm for everyone. Everybody. And I think that's the mistake. Right. When we legislate it that way. Correct. Yeah. When you legislate, yeah, it's hard. But a- again, that's why for me, mm-hmm. this really comes back to three basic ideas. What? which I think are so important for us to continue to reflect on mm-hmm. our view of God, mm-hmm. our view of the Bible mm-hmm. and our view of the humanity. Those three. Yeah. That shapes how we get along with each other. True. How we see each other. Yeah. And I believe we should continue to explore those, but I understand for that for some people, this is very uncomfortable. I was just going to say that yet again, the mystery of the unknown exactly. <laughs> is scary yes. and not comfortable. Yes. We always come back to that. Yeah. <clears throat> and, and in many ways, I am slowly beginning to appreciate the mystery. You know, I go back to that definition of worship the feeling or expression of reverence and adoration for a deity. Mm -hmm. For me, worship becomes a lot easier Mm -hmm. when I embrace mystery. Mm. Because I see things around me. I have these experiences. Yeah. And I, I just don't know. I don't know the answers. I mean, I and look so at what just it's, so it's on wonder for you. Yes. Look at what just happened with the the uh, the telescope that we put out in in space. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the name of it. Um, mm-hmm. But I listened to a podcast the other day about it. Fascinating. How, the amount of work and the amount of money it took. Mm-hmm. But it, ju- it it literally it just. It opened up a whole new window yeah. that, I, that I was unaware of and that as human, human beings we were not aware of. Right. And, and I felt when I heard all this very, <laughs> very, small. very small. I agree. <laughs> but that's then the mystery. And maybe that is what creates worship. Mm-hmm. And for me, ultimately, God is a mystery. And that is something that continues to attract me and pull me back to it not to try to figure it out but just to sit in it just to sit in the mystery (laughs) that's hard yeah it is but it's fun it's fun it's cool (laughs) our time is up man that went fast thank you so much for having joined us here on monodia if you appreciate this podcast if you value this podcast do us a favor if you're either on facebook or youtube hit that like button and follow us and then share this with other individuals if you think it would be applicable to them and and benefit them. 
But again, thank you. Enjoy your week. And whatever you're doing, stay safe out there. Take care. Energy breathing. Our breathing centers around moving energy within our bodies through controlled breathing techniques, such as using or focusing on your diaphragm. Our diaphragm is the most efficient muscle of breathing, it is located at the bottom of your lungs. And with this technique, you will be able to take in more air and decrease the demand for oxygen. While sitting down or lying on your back, place one hand on your upper chest and the other on your stomach below your rib cage. Breathe in slowly through your nose and feel your stomach move out from under your hand. Practice keeping the hand on your chest as still as possible. Concentrate on deep breaths that fill the lungs rather than the shallow ones that only fill the chest. Now, soften your gaze or perhaps even close your eyes. And when your mind wanders as it will, return to the physical sensation of your breath. 